Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Focus, we will discuss stroke risk factors and prevention. May is National Stroke Awareness Month, and it is only fitting that we highlight this disease. Stroke is a leading cause of death and disability in the United States and unfortunately kills nearly one of every 20 people who die from cardiovascular causes. What's more important is that about 80% of all strokes are preventable. We hope that this episode will help with understanding this disease and how we can work to prevent it. So let's start with the basics. So first, it's helpful if we have an understanding of the function of the brain. The brain controls our movements, stores our memories, and is the source of our thoughts, emotions, and language. The brain also controls many functions of the body, including breathing and digestion. To work properly, your brain needs oxygen. Although your brain makes up only 2% of your body weight, it uses 20% of oxygen you breathe. Your arteries deliver this oxygen-rich blood to all parts of your brain. So a stroke causes brain tissue to die, which can lead to brain damage, disability, and death. There's essentially two types of stroke. An ischemic stroke, when the blood supply to the brain is blocked, so imagine a clog in a water hose, or a hemorrhagic stroke, where a blood vessel in the brain bursts, so imagine a hole in a garden hose. In the acute setting, so immediately after a stroke happens, the patient is usually seen by a neurologist or a doctor who specializes on diseases of the brain. If you want to refer back to one of our previous episodes on Parkinson's disease, we had a neurologist who came and spoke to us about that. Same type of doctor. Long term, these patients are cared for by a variety of medical professionals, ranging from internists and primary care providers to speech, physical, and occupational therapists to help decrease their risk of another stroke and regain any mobility or function that they lost as a result of the stroke. We know that every year about 800,000 people in the United States have a stroke, but how do you know if you're at risk for having a stroke? The scary fact is that unfortunately, strokes are not limited by age and can affect babies, young children, adults, or the elderly. The older you are, of course, the more likely you are to have a stroke. The chances of having a stroke doubles every 10 years after age 55. Although stroke is common among older adults, many people younger than 65 can also have strokes. About one in seven strokes occurs in adolescents and young adults between the ages of 15 and 49. And it's thought to be related to chronic diseases like obesity, high blood pressure, and diabetes in younger age patients. Also, your gender, your ethnic background, and family history can increase your risk for stroke. Stroke is more common in women than in men, and women of all ages are more likely than men to die from a stroke. People of color, such as African Americans, Hispanic or Latino, Indigenous Americans, and Alaskan Natives, may be more likely to have a stroke than non-Hispanic whites or Asians. The risk of having a first stroke is nearly twice as high for Blacks as for whites. Also, Blacks are more likely to die from a stroke, which is why stroke awareness is so especially important, since they are disproportionately affected by this disease. 
It's also very important to mention the significance of knowing your family history. We know that family members share genes, behaviors, lifestyles, and environments that can influence their health and their risk for disease. Stroke risk can be higher in some families than others. So if you've had a close relative, like a grandparent, a parent, or a sibling who's had a stroke before age 65, then that might mean that you're at increased risk for a stroke. So knowing that information will help your doctors to develop a better plan to reduce your stroke risk. So other stroke risk factors that are important to mention include a personal history of strokes or mini strokes. We haven't talked about mini strokes just yet, but I think that's a common term that you hear when folks discuss this disease. Many strokes or transient ischemic attacks or TIAs are events that cause you to have stroke-like symptoms without always causing brain damage or lasting functional changes. If you have had many strokes or TIAs, your chances of having other mini strokes or actual strokes are higher. A person who has had one or more of these is almost 10 times more likely to have an actual stroke than someone at their same age and same gender who hasn't. A TIA or a mini stroke is also a medical emergency. And if you're having symptoms, you should seek immediate medical attention. Other things that are modifiable risk factors that are notable to mention here are lifestyle habits that we can adjust to decrease our risk of having a stroke. That includes unhealthy habits like smoking, significant alcohol use, and not getting enough exercise that can lead to other chronic medical conditions like having high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, or obesity, and all of these increase your risk of stroke. I did want to mention cigarette smoking here because sometimes we can forget how significant some of our habits can be on our long-term health. Cigarette smoking in itself can damage the heart and blood vessels. By doing this, it can cause your blood pressure to rise, which increases your risk of stroke. Other conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, sickle cell disease, and others can also increase your risk of stroke. So treating these conditions, especially high blood pressure, is huge because nearly 50% of Americans have high blood pressure and many aren't aware they have it. That's why it's been termed the silent killer because you don't really feel different when you have high blood pressure until it's in the more severe ranges when it can cause damage to your organs. So we've kind of gotten into the weeds about a lot of stroke risk factors and things that we can control and can't control that can increase your risk of having a stroke. But how can you tell if someone is actually having a stroke? Like what symptoms do you look for? One easy way to remember the most common signs of a stroke and how to respond to it is with the acronym FAST, F-A-S-T. So I'll go through the separate parts and that should be able to assist you in identifying someone who may have a stroke. The F is for face drooping. You will usually ask the person to smile. And so does one side of the mouth kind of lag down or droop or is it asymmetric? you expect for it to be equal on both sides. If it's not, then you would be concerned for a stroke there. The A is for arm weakness. You ask the person to raise both of their arms in the air. Does one arm tend to drift downward? If that's the case, then that can signify some weakness on one side, which could be indicative of a stroke. The S is for speech difficulty. 
You can ask the person to repeat a simple sentence and notice if the words are slurred or if that person is unable to get those words out. That can also be signs of a stroke. The T stands for time, and time means it's time to call 911. If the person shows any of these signs or symptoms, it's important to call 911 immediately so they can begin stroke treatment in the ambulance. We talked about how much oxygen that the brain was requiring, and so it is a set amount of time that patients should get to the hospital to be treated for a stroke. So if you have anyone that you recognize as having any of these symptoms, then I would suggest to call 911 immediately. Other common signs of stroke include sudden dizziness or having difficulty walking or balancing or with coordination. Some people can also have sudden trouble with vision or a very severe headache that came out of nowhere, numbness in the face, arm, leg, confusion, or difficulty even understanding others. So if there are any of these symptoms that come on all of a sudden, call 911 immediately. As we've mentioned, stroke is a medical emergency and the treatment as well as outcomes for having a stroke really depend on how fast you can get to the hospital and the type of stroke a person had. Once you arrive at the hospital, typically lots of things are going on all at once because in this situation, time is brain. What we mean by that is the longer time it takes you to diagnose and treat a stroke, the more brain function that's lost or damaged. So typically hospitals are made aware that a patient is coming with a concern for a stroke so that all of the right people can be in place to treat them immediately. We mentioned this earlier, but neurologists or specialists that focus on the brain and the nervous system are crucial to the care of patients that are affected by strokes. To help diagnose a stroke, they can use different brain imaging tests like CT scans or CAT scans, as well as MRIs to try to get a sense of what's going on in the brain. Typically, a CT scan is the quickest test that can be done, and it's typically the first imaging study done to see if there are changes suggestive of a stroke already. Again, as I mentioned, a whole lot of other things are going on at the same time. So while being treated for a stroke, there are other imaging studies that can be ordered that look at the major arteries in your neck, called your carotid arteries that feed your brain, ultrasound of the heart to check your heart function and valve function and make sure that there aren't any structural changes in the heart that can make you at a higher risk for a stroke blood tests because we always make sure that there's nothing else going on that could be contributing. We check for risk factors for having a stroke, like check for diabetes, for high cholesterol. Your blood pressure is very closely monitored, and you also get an EKG to check your heart rhythm because sometimes abnormal heart rhythms can also make you at a higher risk of having a stroke. With this information and many other tests that are at your care team's disposal help create the best initial plan to reverse the damage done by a stroke as quickly as possible and to gather other information to start post-stroke care, rehab, and stroke prevention. Speaking of stroke prevention, there are many things that can be done to decrease your risk of stroke. Dr. Jasmine talked a lot about high blood pressure as being the single most important treatable risk factor of a stroke. So preventing it, diagnosing it, and controlling blood pressure through lifestyle changes and medicine is really critical to reduce stroke risk. 
There are several steps you can take to reduce your risk of stroke, which includes eating a diet low in sodium and with plenty of fruits and vegetables. Also maintaining a healthy weight and being physically active. We really talked a lot about smoking and the importance of not smoking and to avoid secondhand smoke, which can also affect your risk for stroke. It's important that you limit your alcohol use and also prevent or manage any other chronic health conditions like heart disease, high blood pressure, and obesity. Just as important as stroke prevention, if you've had a stroke, it's equally important that you start rehabilitation immediately. Since the damage to the brain and nervous system occurs as a result of a stroke or the result of decreased amounts of oxygen to the brain, it's important for your care team to assess what areas were affected as a result of the stroke. That way they can provide targeted therapies to improve your function long-term. In this stage, that's where the role of speech pathologists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and other medical professionals are crucial. They all work together to help the patient do their usual daily activities with the aim to return to a level of function that's as close to normal as possible. This usually requires weeks and maybe even months of intense therapy, but it produces great results, especially when it started very early. Also, because these therapists target their treatment based on the affected areas by the stroke, each person's treatment will look different. As you can see, stroke therapy and rehab requires coordination from multiple members of the care team to help ensure the best possible outcome in the event of a stroke. For more resources about stroke and stroke prevention, talk with your personal primary care provider about your personal health, your medical history, and your family history. Together, you and your primary care provider can determine if you are at a higher risk for stroke and how you can decrease this risk. There are a host of online websites like the CDC and the American Stroke Association, the subgroup of the American Heart Association, that have reading material and information available for patients to learn more about this disease, its long-term effects, and how to prevent it. If you think that you or someone you know is having a stroke, call 911 immediately. As we've mentioned before, stroke is a medical emergency and time is brain. The treatment and the outcomes depend on how fast you get to the hospital to start the evaluation. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. This officially ends season one. Please feel free to like, repost, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, check out our previous episodes where we've discussed topics ranging from our lives and our family, how to improve your chances of acceptance into medical or health professional programs, and to other key health topics like this one. We will take a break for the summer, but we'll be back in the early fall. We have big plans for our next season and hope you come along for the ride. See you later. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native on his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's no-